morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Ridgeview Church. We're so glad you decided to worship with us this morning. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we're continuing on our series called Running on Empty, and we've been focused on how do we find rest in a restless world, and how do we find that rest that comes uh, specifically and only uh, from God as we follow him and commit to do things his ways. And so we're going to dig into that this morning, but in a moment as we get things started, I just want to have you uh, fill out this connection card. You can grab your pen that was with your program, and you can fill this out right now. If you're a guest with us, uh, please fill in as much information on this connection card that you feel comfortable uh, sharing with us. You can see on the front side is your name and email, and then on the back side are some things that you can let us know about if you have next steps, if you'd like more information about our church. And then you'll see some lines there at the bottom. Uh, This is for you to share any prayer requests that you have. Uh, We would love to pray for you Uh, this week. We have our staff and a prayer team that takes these prayer requests seriously, and we want to lift you up with what you're facing and ask God for help on your behalf. And so let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, Please uh, fill this out right now. And then later in the service, we're going to be receiving our offering after the sermon, and you can drop that completed uh, connection card uh, in there. And so uh, that's just kind of a heads up just to help you engage uh, with us. Uh, In your program, you'll also see a listening guide, uh, and there's some different events that you can check out. But I encourage you, pull out that listening guide as we get started on the sermon today. That will help you uh, track with the scriptures. uh, That will give you a space for you to take notes. Uh, Maybe God's telling you to do something or speak to you in a specific way, and that's a place where you can uh, write those notes on there. And so uh, take that out. We're going to be digging in today on first things, really the priority of what God wants us to do. And like I mentioned, we've been focused on this idea of, of rest. Now, finding rest is something that all of us and in our culture and in our world really strives for. Uh, the reason that is, is because most of us live a tired and worn out lives. Would you agree with that? Every morning you wake up and it's another day and there's certainly a part where we're thankful for life, but there's also a part like, wow, I, it'd be nice to stay in bed. Any of you thought that this morning, like if I could just sleep in for a few hours, or you really start thinking like, I got to get that coffee charged. I got to get my stuff going because it's, it's hard. Sometimes we're, we're in a fog. And in our world, in our culture, you can see that there's all sorts of remedies uh, to finding that rest. Uh, the, actually, the, the, the greater the restlessness, the more people pursue uh, the relief uh, from that. But what you find out is if you pursue rest as the end in itself, the stop of things or the break of things, if that becomes your goal, um, you actually never find it. Uh, Last week, we were, my family were invited to a wedding in Newport Beach, specifically in like the Balboa Island area. And if you've been uh, to the beach recently, uh, it's very busy uh, this time of year because all of us in the 909 area code are trying to flee the triple digits to find a little bit of relief. And uh, we were going and... uh, dropped my, my daughter and my wife off at this wedding venue. It's this beautiful overlooking uh, the marina and there's boats and water and sailing. I'm like, wow, this is like a picture of this, this refreshment that, that we long for. And then you have to find something called parking. And I just got to this place where I, I went to this lot and it was completely full. And I began to just circle and I began to get just stressed out and thought like, I may just be here in the car for the whole wedding. And there are actually people that missed part of the wedding because they couldn't find a spot. So I'm driving, and right when I got just on this main street, right by the venue that we were uh, there for the wedding, a family came and brought all their beach stuff. 
You know that feeling, like I put the signal, like I've locked it in, you know, the signal, I'm here, I'm staying, and people are going past me, and there's just a part of me, I was like, you know, this feels really good, like I got a prime spot. And so I kind of began to feel like so proud of myself. Um, it, it's not a parallel, I'm not that proud, I don't know how to parallel park well, but I was able to pull right in, and, and I just couldn't wait to tell like my wife and daughter, like you'll, you'll not believe how great the spot is that, that I found. And I was thankful, I was like, God provided this spot, and so through the wedding, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to going to, like, this is how I know I'm old. Like, those are the things I look forward to, like my parking, right? And so I'm so excited, and I, I get after the venue, and I'm, I'm just, like, my, my daughter and wife are behind me, and I'm just like, wait till you see it. It's like this, you know, this grand reveal, right? And, and we get to the spot, and then I go to open the trunk because I needed to put my jacket in there from the wedding, and the, the trunk doesn't open. I'm like, that's really weird. Like, what's wrong with the, the trunk? It's not opening. And then I go to to unlock the door, and then I go to press the button to the trunk, and the trunk doesn't open. Then I go to start the car, and the car doesn't start. And I realized that this whole time that I was so proud of my parking spot, I'd come back to the car to lower the windows, and I'd left the power on. Not the car on, but the power on, and I had a dead battery. So at that moment where I was so proud of my my parking spot, I then had to go and release the front... uh, of the car to get the battery boost. And there's people that parked further away that are just walking, just like, you know, how's it going for you now? And I just had this, like, this shame of the pride I felt. And then there was no battery. There was no life to the car. And then we were running out of gas. And, and anyway, all that to say, this moment that I felt like everything was coming together in an instant, it all unraveled. And that's a lot of, like, what life can be, especially in the pursuit of rest. You find like you find exactly what you thought you wanted, and then it's still empty. It's not enough. You still need more rest. You still need more of a break. You still need just a different vantage point. And that's what happens when we pursue rest or a break or kind of a, an escape from our lives. This series, we've been looking at the practices that we need to do, not to escape, but to pursue God and to find the rest that only he can bring. And we started looking at the invitation that Jesus gives us to come and to know him, to take his yoke upon us. That's his way of life. That his way of life is superior to our way of life, and he teaches us how to live his ways in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our family life, in everything that we do. And as we take that invitation to do things God's way, you find that that rest that we all long for, that refreshment, that peace, maybe that that wholeness, it actually can be found. So today I want to talk further about really the wholeness that we can find as we put others in front of us. Now, if you were to go to like a workshop on like how to find rest for you, most of us wouldn't think at the top of the list would be serving others, right? Why? Because serving others sounds like work. Anytime you have the word serve and your life involved, you're like, well, what's that going to cost me? But what you find is you do life his way, God's way, and you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he came on this earth to serve. In fact, he said he he gave his life as a ransom for many. He laid down, down his life so we could be saved. And so the pattern of Christ is the pattern that we are to follow, that it actually comes in the gift of service and looking out for others that you find wholeness. It's very backward to what we hear, what we see And oftentimes, it's even opposite to what our heart tells us. When we're running on empty, what do we do? We tend to shrink back from people. 
When we find we're overwhelmed, we tend to isolate ourselves. When we feel like the burdens are, are too much, we just try to kind of, kind of circle up with our, with our family and try to figure out how to get past the season. Well, there is an actual better in another way, and that is to actually give your life out for others. And as you give your life out for others, what God does is he gives you a refreshment that's not of this world because you're taking his ways seriously. You're living out sacrifice, and as you sacrifice for others, he will take care of you. That's the promise of Scripture. Again and again, as we kind of go through with things that don't necessarily make sense in faith, maybe contrary to what we really want and our desires in the moment, God takes care of us. So we've been focused a lot on practices within us, spiritual disciplines, the invitation between us and God. Today, it's what's this invitation that God has between us and other people? And I want to start with this kind of overarching principle and tell a story that most of you may have heard, but this is the principle. Love and generosity should be the guiding principles of our lives. If you want wholeness in your life, if you want actually to have a relief from the burden of trying to pursue peace, then begin to give yourselves out, you know, over to people. Like give yourselves and sacrifice for others through love and generosity, and, and you'll find that God will fill you up in a new way. I want to share a story of the Good Samaritan. Have you guys heard that story before, the Good Samaritan? It's actually a phrase that we use. I just raised my hand and nobody raised their hand. Has anyone heard that story before? Okay, you stretch it out. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that story is common. In fact, that's just part of the vernacular of our culture. If you see somebody helping somebody else, even on the news, they report, there was a Good Samaritan. They stopped. They helped. That's a biblical story that happened. And Jesus uses it as an example, this parable. And a parable is Jesus' way of teaching a principle that you have to pause and think and begin to like ask yourself, well, what's the point of that story? Today, we may have this modern day like fable, the idea of an idea, but Jesus is using this parable to, to teach a lesson. And I wanna read this story with this principle, with the backdrop of, of love and generosity and the point that Jesus is try, trying to make. So let's read this. If you've never read it, uh, this will be new to you. For some of you, it may, it may just be a review, but this is found in the book of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 10, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Uh, he stood up to who? To, to Jesus himself. And before I get rolling, uh, many people, many leaders, lawyers, noble people, religious leaders, tried to kind of figure out how they could be superior to Jesus because he was gaining a lot of authority. He had power in his teaching. People were, were following him more and more. And so many people began to challenge, well, if, if he's gaining all this notoriety, if I challenge him and I find my ideas are superior to his, maybe I could gain that too. So this lawyer had that same idea going on in his life. Like, how can I put Jesus in a bind? He's testing him. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's what you call just going right to it. There's no warm up here. But teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life forever and ever? He said to him, Jesus, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus does that a lot. He answers a question with a question. And the lawyer says in verse 27, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So the principle here is, is you love God and you love others. Jesus says, this is actually the whole truth of the scripture. If you're trying to boil it down, loving God and loving others. And that's what the lawyer said. Jesus agrees, says, you're right. And then verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself. So now he's got another test. Like, I want to show that I'm actually, 
a thinker. There's a depth to me. I'm thinking about these things and I'm, I'm gonna challenge you some more. And he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, this was a 17 mile journey, descended 3,300 feet. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, it says, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now a Samaritan was, was like a mixed race of a Gentile and a Jewish, actually hated among the Jewish people. Uh, this Samaritan, and this is Jesus' point, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, an oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35, and the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So anytime Jesus is telling a story you have to take a step back and you, you have to ask the question, well, what's the point? What's the point that Jesus is trying to make? What are the things that he wants you and I to think about? What are the things he wanted the lawyer to think about, to ponder? And certainly in this instance, Jesus is answering the question of what the lawyer asked, who, who is my neighbor? And what he did in this story was to show that there's actually a part of that question, which is everyone who God puts in your path is a potential neighbor. That's something good to realize. It's just anyone that God puts in your path. This could be as you're going to work, at work, coming home from work, in your neighborhood. There's all sorts of these things that God could be doing behind the scenes to put people in front of your path. And he uses this point that there were these religious leaders, a priest and a Levite. Now, both of them probably in this story were doing some temple duties and they'd finished their day of work, probably tired. But these are the religious noble people. But when they saw this person in need, attacked by robbers, wounded on the ground, it says that they passed on by. The idea is like they dismissed this crisis. They wanted to get away from it uh, as soon as possible. And then Jesus drives this point further. The one who the people would detest the most, the one who seems like have nothing good going for him, the one who you wouldn't want to emulate your life, the one who you'd kind of want to do the opposite, he's the one in this story that stops sees the person in need, and helps. But not only that, what does he do? He makes sure that this person will be taken care of. And so Jesus is saying is that you have people that cross your paths, and they probably have needs, and there's things going on and problems that you don't want to deal with, but there's times where God places those people in your path, and you have a choice to make. The noble and religious leaders made the wrong choice. They passed on by. But the Samaritan the one who had no place in the Jewish society, he was the one who made the right choice. He extended himself. He was generous with his time, his resources, his money, his care, his concern. And the point is, Jesus says, is you and all that were listening, not just the Lord, but you and even us today, you do likewise. This idea of this, this mercy, this love, and this generosity. The reason I bring this up is many times it's easy for us 
to get into our mode and our responsibilities, even if they're noble, just like the priest and the Levite. And to get so focused on what our agenda is and so focused on that we want what we want to do that, that we can miss that the opportunities that, that God brings. I believe that God brings opportunities. In fact, that's how God tells time. He doesn't tell time primarily from the chronological uh, clocks of our day and the calendars and the days and the days of the month. He tells time from one opportunity to the other. And these are things that, that we can seize, that we can buy up. And Jesus, just to repeat this in verse 36, he, he asked this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That is, who's the one that seized the opportunity that God brought? And then in 37, he, the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The reason I want to bring this up and to focus on this is for this reason. People are opportunities to do the good that we were made to do, not problems to avoid. The reason this is important to really wrestle with and chew on is that the busier we are, the more people become problems. The more stressed we are, the more focused we are on our own goals, the more we filled out our plan for our day and our life and we have it all locked in. When people come that God brings that are opportunities, most of the time those can be the problems that we want to what you find from this story and the theme throughout Scripture is that these are opportunities that God brings. They're opportunities to do good, to extend love, to be generous. And you never know how buying up one of these opportunities in the life of this person can change the trajectory of their life. We're not just here without purpose. We're not here just matter with human skeletons that are just robots, but we're people that God has made in a specific and a unique way and in a beautiful way. And as we can interact with somebody else, he's made them in his image as well. And you never know the words that you can say, the time that you spend, the way that you can help somebody, how that can make a difference. And we have to stop. We have to realize that in our culture, there's so much me focus. I just need to be focused on me. I need to do self-care and my own mental health. I need to pull back and I got to get that, that rest. And we focus on that goal and it's very me and self-focused. What Jesus is saying is the more you're focused on yourself, the less you have an opportunity to extend mercy. And as you extend mercy to others, that's where you get fulfillment. That's where you get filled in a new way because you're doing what Christ has done. The only way we can extend mercy, as Jesus says, and to do likewise is because of the mercy that we've been given. And so what a powerful opportunity we have as humans, as these people who've been given this mercy from the loving God, and we can extend it to others. The scriptures echo this same theme. This is the New Testament written by Paul, the church in Ephesus, and he says this in Ephesians 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Again, this is the way God does things. As beloved children, and it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we love, we're imitating God who defined love and is love and loved us 
And when Christ laid down his life for us, there's this picture of this, this sacrifice. It's this pleasing offering to God. And so when you make a choice to extend yourself for others through love and generosity and through mercy, there's this image of God who's watching, who's pleased. Who says, this is my way. This is the way the church should be. This is the way family should be. This is the way that I've designed life to work. Romans 13, this is written to another church from Paul. Notice that just the emphasis here. It says, oh, no one anything. This is specific talking about debt. Except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And again, that, that law is that, that summary of the scriptures to love God and to love others. But notice this emphasis of, of this actual owing. There's this sense that we should always realize that this is something that we have to give back to somebody. The principle is, if somebody lends you money, you do not want to stop working and planning so that you can give back the money that you've owed as soon as possible. You don't want that debt to exist. And so financially, that, that, that's wise. But here it's saying there's actually, there's part of this, oh, of, of love that we should realize that there, there's something we have to continue to extend. Just like we would have to give this money back. We really, because of God and what he's given us, we should owe each other this, this debt of love. Now, that's not begrudging or legalistic. This feeling like, I'm supposed to love you today. How are you doing? What do you need? That doesn't work, right? But the sense of like, wow, I have the love of God. It's been given freely to me. How can I give that? Like, I don't want to just hold on to this. It's not just for me. I want to keep extending it. And as you extend that love and that mercy and that generosity, God refills you. And as you extend it, God refills you. And there's this, this sense of like the wholeness. You're never running on empty because God keeps filling you up. This actually gives a new purpose to our life, to our opportunities, to the, our calendar. It's easy to get into ruts. I don't know if any of you consider yourself like rut kind of people. Any of you just like you kind of do the same thing every day? Any, anyone like you have your plan, your ruts, That, the question wasn't on your schedule. Like, I don't answer that. That wasn't planned, right? But it's easy for all of us. We just have a plan, and we just plug and play. Well, what if we took this lesson of this Samaritan who can teach us the good way, and what if we took that seriously? So I began to think of that. Like, how would that create good days for us? despite being tired, despite maybe being stressed, how could this create some good days? And I, I thought of this question, it's just the measure of a good day. And so a measure of a good day can be linked to a few things. The first, uh, who did I help? If you want to kind of take inventory of your day, there's certainly your tasks. Did you accomplish your tasks? Did you do what you're supposed to do? Did you take care of your responsibilities? That's certainly a part of a good day. But think about not just the task, you have to think about the people, the lives that you're connected to. So then this question becomes very important. Who did I help today? At the end of each day, if you ask that question, you begin to live out this Ephesians 5 and this Romans 13, like this is something I need to extend to others. Second is, who did I listen to and identify with? Is there anyone that I'm asking how they're doing? 
and getting into their world and actually listening without feeling the need to just keep talking over them. That's how your love, loving and generous, you, you actually give people room to speak and you listen. You're receiving what's going on in their life. And then the third is, is who, who did I encourage? This is the measure of a good day. Now, you won't find these if you go into like this spa treatment, this like maybe this is the place where you find the rest. You're gonna find those on the walls, right? No, it's gonna be about breathing and resting and hydrating. Those things are important. But this is actually speaking to the way that God made us. There's a wholeness that comes when we love that we can't experience when we just are so self-focused. And I want to take a moment just to talk about that. Love, it increases genuine productivity, but selfishness decreases it. So thinking of like the measure of your day, what you do, your calendar, your tasks, your burdens, your stress, the things that you feel overwhelmed by, think about this for a moment. Could loving people actually make you productive? Well, it kind of feels backwards because you're like, well, Pastor, does that mean everyone who's got a problem, I have to stop and help? I'll never get anything done. Well, again, the question is, will God and does God place people in your path? It doesn't mean that you just go and search for every problem that exists. But it does mean there's times where you may have to open your eyes and see, is God placing this person right here and right now for an opportunity for me to serve them, to help them, to listen? those questions that I just asked. That could actually increase your productivity because again, there's this wholeness. You've done the will of God in that moment. And when you do the will of God in that moment and you're obedient, you build momentum for your life. You stack up these good days that God promises. So the question is, does selfishness, being self-focused actually make us less productive? That also seems a little backwards because it seems like if I'm focused on my needs and what I want, then at least I can take care of myself and things will get done. Well, the more unloving and self-focused you are, a lot of times the more bitterness you can experience. Now, I don't think there's an actual way to weigh bitterness, but in my book, it's very heavy. And to carry bitterness on you slows you down. It makes you less productive. If you struggle with just being entitled and somebody owing you something, you begin to just focus on that. And now your thoughts are on that bitterness and maybe that entitlement, and that makes you less productive. Because it bothers you so much. As you deal with anger, anger unravels productivity. Because if you blow up, you now have a wake of problems that you have to deal with. That can happen in the workplace. That can happen in home. Again, if you get into this resentment, it causes friction in relationships. It's hard to work with people. If it's hard to work with people, it's hard to get things done. You don't make progress. All of these emotions sap our energy. We never think about that. And we could focus on all the me time and all the me focus, but the more you focus on you and the more I focus on me, we actually begin to just lose momentum in life, especially if we're trying to live God's way. 
We always want the last word. That can wear you out. You're always thinking of what you have to say next. And so through Christ, we're offered another way. Now, if you find that this is a struggle for you, it's easy to get into self-focused and maybe me-focused, you're human. All of us have that. We all struggle with selfishness. In the morning, most of us are motivated to get what we want and to get what we want first before others. That's part of the curse of sin. And a lot of us struggle with arrogance, that we actually think we deserve it and that we're better. Now, we don't say that, but it's going on. And then we also struggle. That there's a part of us like we, we actually could get into harming other people if they block us. Now, maybe not physically, but we do like to make people pay. Can you harm people emotionally? Through manipulation, through harshness? Absolutely. So all of these things are, are going on. And this is why gathering together is so important. This is why serving, because as we gather together, we realize like we have to keep working on our selfishness and our arrogance. It's something that we're going to struggle with the rest of our lives. But as we gather together in Jesus' name to look past ourselves for something bigger than ourselves, to loving each other, to serving in the church, this happening in home life, extending that into the workplace, you'll find that, that God will use you in a unique and special way. As I close out, I want to give you just some practical ways to do this. Because you say love people, love in our culture is like, great. It's like this, is that a warm, fuzzy Disney song movie? Like love, I don't know what that is. Does it involve following my heart? Because if there's selfishness and arrogance, like I'll follow my heart, right? But it, it's so much more than that. And so I just want to get practical. And uh, there's some scriptures on here that are for you to look at on your own. And so this week, you may decide, like, that's why we have a listening guide, to look at these scriptures, to get into the, the Bible yourself. If you don't have a Bible, we have them on the next step table. But I encourage you, take the time to look at some of these practical ways to extend love and generosity. Uh, here, here's the first one. You'll find this in Philippians chapter one. It says, choose to multiply goodwill uh, towards uh, others. And that's the counter to the malice and the bitterness that we experience. People get you know, make us upset. They do something that hurts us. They do something that makes us angry. It's very easy to just kind of lodge that away, keep a record of that. And maybe we get right back into payback. But the scriptures actually speak to, you, you have to deal with that malice and bitterness. You, you have to take care of that right away. Right when you notice that's there, if that root grows and it continues to grow, the scriptures say it will defile many. Like it will mess up your life, your family life. Haven't we seen that? Let's just get real. Haven't we seen the roots of bitterness that destroy? We have. So the scripture is saying is you have to actually choose to multiply goodwill. It's like you have to pull out the root of bitterness and begin to do good for others. Instead of repaying them with evil, you, you choose to do good. Uh, specifically in this scripture in Philippians, this is actually talking about sharing the good news of Jesus. And so one of the ways that you can multiply goodwill to others in your life is even sometimes the self-focus of not wanting to share your faith. Sometimes we don't share our faith because of selfishness. We don't tend to categorize it like that, but oftentimes it's fear. And what is it fear of? The way that we're gonna look. And why do we care what we look like? How do we appear? 
because of our view of ourselves. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want them to think this about me. I don't want to be like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Did I get that name right? Yeah. Kind of this like cliche Christian, right? Well, that's because we have such a high view of ourselves. If actually we're unselfish, we'd realize like, I'd rather look dumb and maybe a little weird to somebody than to them have to spend eternity in hell. Isn't that what we're talking about? So multiplying goodwill, I'm willing to get past myself to share my faith with others. And could there be people in my life that God places in my path that needs Jesus? Absolutely. That's you're supposed to pray for that, that we'll have an opportunity. That's how we multiply goodwill. Another is to put the other person first. Now, who's the other? And this is kind of the same question. Like, well, who's, who's our neighbor? Well, you could begin with your own household. Put the other person first. As you wake up and you make yourself some coffee, make someone else in your house some coffee as well. In our household, that's really putting each other first. You make breakfast, make extra. These are all things that we can do to put others first. Parents, when your kids ask you to do something, really try to say yes. Can you help me with this? Yes. Can I show you this? Yes. You stop and you say, my schedule and my priority right now could delay so I can put you first. If you do this in home life, you're building a pathway of love that will greatly help. Think about that in your workplace. How can you work alongside coworkers that need help? Have you ever had somebody that needs help and you know that you can help them and you're really trying to decide whether you answer that or if, even if you hear it, somebody needs help and you're like, don't make eye contact. Don't open your door. Just look down. Because it's going to cost you, right? Well, the scriptures say if it costs you and you help somebody, you never know how God uses that in that person's life. And not only that, if you help somebody who's struggling at work with a project, then you're also strengthening your coworkers, which strengthens your boss, which strengthens the company. God could use you in just a little act of kindness to help somebody. It could make a big difference in your workplace. Again, you have to move past that, that me focus. Another is to do good without demanding a return. That's that idea of the, the owing. You don't want to owe any debt except to love. And when you do love people, you, you don't really keep a record of it. Like I've done this for that person five times and they've done it one. So they need to do it four times and then we're even. That's easy to do. We can keep a record of wrongs we can also keep a record of rights, how much we've served them and how much they've served us. Now, in the scripture, it actually shouldn't be um, really off kilter. You shouldn't be over-serving and no one's serving you. Uh, it's Fellowship actually means to reciprocate. As you love others, others love you. But there's a time where you just have to release maybe the strings attached to things. That's why one of the things we say when we give away our, our mug is no strings attached. When we give away a free gift to you as a guest, we're not going to follow you home. Aren't you so glad I said that? I'm, I'm kind of being funny there, but, but it's so easy in our culture. Anytime you get anything, right, you always think there's a string. 
Because we see what people do. They burn each other. They guilt each other. They manipulate. There's always strings attached, it seems, but not for the Christ follower. And then this one, this is a challenge. Do more good than expected. Oh, we live in a time where we just want to do the minimum. And maybe even a little bit below the minimum that we can only pass as the minimum. But Jesus actually in Matthew 5, you'll see there, it's if someone asks you to do something, how can you actually go even above and beyond? I don't know if you've ever had anyone do that for you, where you just needed help, but instead of helping you with just a little thing, they helped you with a lot. You'll never forget that. That will motivate you to do that for others. Uh, many of you helped our sports camp in June as we taught sports to kids and we loved families. And we just put together this camp to really bless our community. And they actually had to pay a small fee for a lot of what they got in return. And one of the comments just repeatedly from sports camp is like this, this delight that people have, parents especially. Like this is amazing. Thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for helping us. Like, they, they honestly, they don't know what to do. This is this principle. You do more than is expected. God works that. It's very easy to be stingy, to do the least. But as Christ followers, we have an opportunity. If you follow Christ, this is not an easy life. I mentioned this last week. If you want to be involved in the church, it will cost you. And it should, but you're not having to do it on your own power. You have the very power that raised Jesus from the dead where you can make a difference. And so I want to encourage you, look at this list. Do good without demanding. Do more good than expected. Could you go to the one through three? Choose to multiply goodwill. Put the other person first. Be eager in meeting the needs of others. Now look at that list. On your listening guide, there's five, right? Look at that list. Which one do you think for you personally? You need to focus on yourself. Just take a moment. Like, take 10 seconds to think about that. You identified one? What were some ones that you identified? Let's just have a little share real quick. Number three, be eager in meeting the needs of others. The hardest part of number three is this word. How can I help you? Right, that's like easy, but eager. It's like you're looking for it. Who else? Number two, put the other person first. Did I hear four? What's number four? Do good without demanding a return. Ooh, that's hard. Anyone else? Based on what I've said, by you saying it, we're not holding you to it. We're not going to check. But this is the kind of thing that we need to think about. Because what if, as we learn this, and we take Jesus' words seriously to multiply mercy to others and love and generosity, what if God has somebody for you in mind to do this to? Could that be possible today? What about this week? Could God do that? Absolutely. As I wrap up, 
there's some next steps that you can take. And I just want to walk through this briefly. If, if you're not yet a Christian, I'm talking about the difference that Christ makes in the life that you live. You can't live this life without choosing to become a Christian. That is inviting Jesus to lead you, to apprentice under him, to learn from him. If you've never accepted the, G, the invitation from Jesus to follow him and to do life his way, you can decide to become a Christian. So by you checking that, you'll let us know that, that you want to follow up. Now, on your connection card, there's a place that actually has send me info about following Jesus. And so if you check that, we'll follow up with you. Because we believe here at Ridgeview that the most important decision you can make is to become a Christian to follow Jesus with your whole life. And so you need to get that aspect in place first. Now, you could still investigate and explore. You may not be ready for that. But this is the life that you can only experience as you choose to follow Christ. So make that decision if you've not. and Consider that. And then the second, uh, read the scriptures in the practical snapshot section and ask God for insight. Those are the, those five. Look at those scriptures for yourself this week. Take that listening guide with you. And then number three, uh, who can I love and be generous with? So there's already somebody that's come to mind. Write their name down. Take that step seriously. Who is that person? Not vague, but a specific person. So what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray that God will provide us an opportunity for us to do this. Now, be careful, because most of the time, as we pray this, these opportunities do not come when we want them to. So if you're mad at me, we can talk next week, and in love, we'll have a discussion. Okay, let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus, the ultimate example of love and mercy and generosity who gave his very life for us. And God, right now, in his name, his powerful name, the same power that we can receive, we ask that you'll provide us an opportunity to be generous with someone, to have an opportunity to love someone, to extend mercy to someone. God, I pray that you will show us the specific person right now. If it's clear, you'll give us just the power to take that step. And then if there's somebody that we don't even know, God, we just, with eyes open, we, we pray that you'll help us to see these opportunities. God, you're a God that works in our world, in our lives, in our schedules, and, and we thank you for that supernatural work that you do even when we don't see it. In the name of Jesus, I pray.